I was six years old, and I was in the talent show at my elementary school. And I had never sang before in my life. My mom must have heard me humming along with Sesame Street or something, and so she, she wrote a song for me. She taught me the song, and then she put me on the stage at my school talent show where I sang the song in front of my classmates and my teachers, and my mom played guitar sitting next to me. When the song ended, my classmates smiled and applauded. My teachers were beaming with approval. And I walked off the stage and I got the biggest hug I think I'd ever received up to that point from my mom. And I whispered in her ear these words, which she reminds me of to this day. I said, where is my limo? (laughs) Sadly, that is a true fact. (laughs) At, At that moment, something clicked for me. Something clicked for me at six years old, standing on a stage. Something clicked for me. I thought, this is how the world works. You you perform for people, they like you, and then when they like you, you like yourself a little bit more. That's when it clicked for me that, that the approval and the applause of other people was something that felt good to me, something I liked. And it's where it started to become until I dealt with it later on in life, a very powerful force in my life. I'm not the only one who, who likes approval and applause. We all do. When did you figure it out, though? When did the lights come on for you? When did it click for you that, that the approval and the applause of other people was something that felt good, something, something that mattered to you, something that when you got it, you were proud to have it, and that and that it could potentially become a powerful driving force in your life. When did you realize that? The reason I ask is because we are in the middle of a teaching series called More to Mondays, where we're looking to apply our faith to our work. We're looking to discover a greater sense of peace and purpose from our work, no matter what our work is, by applying the truths of our faith in Jesus Christ to the work that we do. And so we started in week one by saying that, that all work, All work, whether it's in the marketplace or the home, wherever it is, all work is of God. All work is divine because it comes from God and it's a means through which he he answers other people's prayers and he meets other people's needs. And, And that truth in and of itself instills every single task with meaning and purpose and weight and significance. And then last week we talked about how to be a witness through our work, a witness of God through the work that we do. And what we said is that it's not about turning your office into a place where you preach, unless, of course, you do this for a living. But instead, it's about about doing your work with certain values. First and foremost, a Christian turns their work into a witness by just doing a great job and seeking to be great at their work. And then instilling that work with kingdom values, the things that you as a follower of Jesus know matter to God, And you try to instill your work with those things. So grace and mercy matter to him, so you put them into your work. Justice and treating people as as image bearers of God matters to him, and so you try to instill that into your work. And it changes the manner in which you do your work. And it might just make people ask a question of why you work the way you do. And that's when the opportunity to be an explicit witness comes in. Because when they ask why you work the way you do, you are ready with a response. 
And today we're going to talk about the role of approval and pleasing others and seeking, seeking the applause of people around you through your work. And I just want to tell you right off the bat that it's not a bad thing to seek the approval of other people to a degree. But if you're here as a follower of Jesus, what you need to be reminded of, and I need to be reminded of, is that we have freedom in our work. We have freedom from that seeking of approval because we have this foundation of ultimate approval from God the Father. And so a Christian understands the seeking of approval like this, that as we do our work, we work from the approval of God that we already have. We stand upon a foundation of knowing that he already loves us and accepts us, has made us his own. And that we work from that approval, not merely for the approval of other people. That's what we're going to talk about today. Because the approval of others, while not in and of itself a bad thing, if you make it the ultimate thing, will in the end be a very unsatisfying thing for you. But don't be mistaken. Everybody is hungry for approval. And if you tell me that you're not, I'm going to tell you I see a liar. <laughs> Every single one of us, we are born into this world, into the arms of our mother, wanting to know that she loves us. And then needing to know that our dad loves us and the people around us love us. We are born into this world wanting to know that who we are and what we do is known and that it matters. We want to know that the people around us seek us out, choose us, love us, and want us to be in their lives. That's what it means to be approved. We are sought after, loved, and wanted. And each of us has a deep, deep hunger for that that plays out in a thousand different ways. Uh, we live in a world that is, is shaped more than ever, I would say, to feed off of our hunger for approval. And if you don't believe me, just spend like five seconds on social media, which is entirely engineered to feast off of your need to know that you're loved and wanted and okay in the eyes of others, which is why we, we go back to it time and again to look at the number of likes and followers and, and see if we can get one of those exploding hearts on Twitter or Instagram. It's because it sends a signal to our brain that says you are known and loved and wanted and we love that feeling. It may be that you want the approval of just people in authority over you in general. You value their assessment of you and you want them to say that you're good if not great. Or it could be that you had a sideways relationship with your dad when you were growing up. And he, he never really seemed to be satisfied with you. And even though he passed away years ago, you still kind of feel him over your shoulder or hear his voice in your ears. And you're wanting him to say, I approve, well done, good job. Or, or maybe for you, it's just been the opposite sex. You, you want the opposite sex to see you and to approve of you, to be attracted to you, and to feel like you are desirable to them. It manifests itself in a thousand different ways. So what is it for you? Whose approval are you hungry for? Who are you hoping will look at you and whisper to you, well done? And then let's go a little deeper. How does that need for approval shape the work that you do? Because whether you recognize it or not, your need for approval shapes your work. It, it could be that, that when you know your mom's going to come to visit, that you clean the house rigorously, vigorously, even though it's already clean and your family reminds you of that. Or it could be that when your boss asks something of you, you, you work 
you work more overtime than anybody else because you not only want to, your boss to say that you did it right, you want your boss to say that you did it best. How does your need for approval influence the work that you do and the way you live your life? Wrestle with that. Take those questions, put them in your back pocket, and now jump with me to the Gospel of John chapter 6. In the Gospel of John chapter 6, Jesus is being chased after by a bunch of really, really hungry people. He's being chased after by hungry people because Jesus has just performed this miracle where quite literally he fed a bunch of people. He took a a couple loaves of bread and he, he multiplied it miraculously and he fed a bunch of people. And now, because they'd seen him multiply this bread, this crowd is chasing after Jesus and Jesus is trying to escape to get some quiet time to himself. And the reason they're chasing after Jesus is it's quite simple. In in the first century, uh, for Jewish people, bread was not just bread. It was way more than carbs. It was a cultural symbol of everything that God provides. Bread was symbolic of everything you need on a day-to-day basis to be okay. Think about what you need on a, on a typical Tuesday afternoon to be okay. You, you need your technology to work. You need some food in your stomach. You need your kids to not be cranky. You need, you need your boss to be satisfied with you. you. You need a lot of things in order to be okay. That is your daily bread, so to speak. And so when this crowd saw Jesus multiply bread, they knew that it was a symbol for something bigger. And they said, this is not just a man who can feed us miraculously. He's not just some, some magical baker. No, he is a need meter. Whatever tangible need we have, we can get from him. And so they chase after him. They catch up to Jesus. And this is what happens in John chapter 6, starting at verse 25. We'll start at verse 25. When they found him, on the, found him on the other side of the sea. So Jesus is hiding. He's like, I want nothing to do with this. They said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And now here's the really important phrase. He says, do not work, do not labor for, do not chase after the food that perishes. So, so Jesus is really kind of calling them out. He's saying, you're chasing me because you know that I can meet your tangible needs and you think that that's the sum total of what I'm here for. You think I'm here to fill your belly. You think I'm here to get you a better job. You think I'm here to find you the perfect wife and to make sure your kids don't turn out like crazy people. Well, too late for that. (laughs) I'm not here merely for those things. If you chase after me for just those things, you are chasing after food that perishes. It's going to spoil on you. It's going to go bad on you. It's going to be of no use to you. It does not last. Now, here's the reason I tell that story in the midst of this conversation. Because the approval and the applause of other people falls into the category of fleeting and perishable food. It's not a bad thing to earn the applause of your boss, the praise of your peers, or the well done of your dad. It is not a bad thing at all. But if you chase that as the ultimate thing, in the end, it will fail you. It will not be enough for you. You'll look at your hands and it will have spoiled on you. It will have perished for you. And it will disappoint you. It's not food that lasts. It's empty calories, so to speak. Now, you might be pressing against this idea in your own heart and mind and saying, Matt, I'm not sure if I believe you. What's wrong with wanting the approval of the people around me or the authorities above me as 
is kind of my ultimate driving force in life. I like how it feels to have the approval of other people. Why can't this be the number one thing for me? And trust me, I understand that as one who's wrestled with this deeply in his own life. Remember, on a stage at six, short tie, Bob Barker microphone, that's me. But here's what I would say to you. I don't think you're necessarily hurting anybody else by, by being a little obsessed with the approval uh, uh, from others and accomplishing things in the eyes of others. I think you, you run the risk of just doing some physical and spiritual harm to yourself. Because we can play this tape forward and see how it works if you really make a big deal about making sure everybody thinks you're awesome. It, it ends up in fatigue. It ends up in moral compromise. And then it ends up in regret. So, like, here's the thing about seeking the approval of human beings. You're never done. So you do a great job in the new project at work. You crush it in the office during the days that you're on that assignment. Guess what? They're going to look at you and say, man, we're going to give you a raise. Awesome. We're going to give you more responsibility. Awesome. And we expect you to do in this bigger responsibility what you did in the smaller responsibility go. That's how it works, and you know that. The currency of praise is performance. So the more you perform, the more you'll get praised. And so if you like praise, you're just going to have to keep performing. If that's your ultimate goal is to get praise, you're going to have to keep performing. And what happens is that that makes you tired because you are one person with one body who needs eight hours of sleep, and I know you ain't getting it. It will make you tired. And then what happens when you get tired from trying to keep up all of the expectations is that you, you end up in this place where you are very easily morally compromised. Here's the thing about human beings. As expectations upon us rise, the temptation to lower our standards rises as well. The, the temptation to say, well, maybe I don't, I don't value this as much as I thought. Maybe I won't protect this as much as I want to. Or maybe I won't stand for this, for this great idea that I've always stood for. Maybe I won't stand for these things or protect these things because I've ultimately got to accomplish all these things. As you get tired and the expectations rise, the opportunities for moral compromise go through the roof and we tend to lower our standards just to get the job done. And that, my friends, is a recipe for shame. Because when you enter into that place where, where you're willing to compromise your integrity in order to continue to earn the applause of others, there's no end to what you won't do. And when you get to that place, you ultimately end up with regret at the very end. Because you'll get to the end of your career or just the end of your rope, and you realize the cost, the cost that has been paid uh, physically and spiritually to keep proving yourself to others, you realize that you've spent yourself physically, you've compromised yourself just a little bit with your integrity, and you realize that even after all of that, the people you're aiming to please still want more. And suddenly, often too late, it'll hit you, this, this, is, this, wasn't, this wasn't worth it. That's why this is an important conversation. So, so here's how Jesus concludes his interaction with the people who are chasing after him. We're going to extend this to verse 29 now. So picking up at verse 25 again, uh, going now to, to verse 29. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. That's key. Which the Son of Man, that's self-referential, Jesus is talking about himself, will give to you. For on him, Jesus means me, Jesus, God the Father has set his seal. In other words, I'm the one that you can come to, so says the Father, for the food that will never perish. 
Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Notice they assume, I got to be doing something to get this satisfaction that will last, that will, that will sustain me to the end. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. Are you ready? Believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus says, don't work for the things that will fail you in the end. Instead, look for the things that will last forever. And they say, how do we get the things that last forever? And Jesus says, believe in me. I give the things that last forever. I can give the temporary things that if you make them the ultimate thing will fail you and frustrate you like money in your pocket and the applause of your peers. But I also give the ultimate thing. And you know what the ultimate thing that Jesus gives that every human heart craves? We talked about it at the beginning. We want to know that we're loved, that we're noticed, that we're known, that we're wanted, that we are okay. We want to be approved. And the approval that we seek from others is just a glimpse and a glimmer of the real approval that we need. Remember, you're a creature, which means you have a creator. Here's what you really need. You need to know not that your peers love you. You need to know that the one who made you loved you. You need to know not that your boss at work loves you. You need to know that the boss of all things loves you. Because if he's real, it's his opinion that matters the most. And Jesus is walking around saying, I have the seal of the Father set on me. The thing that really satisfies is knowing that the Father is in your corner, that he loves you and he wants you. And that's the thing that will last forever. It will outlast everything else. And I've got it. Come and get it. And you don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. Here's what you do. Bring me your nothing. And I will give you everything. That's what Jesus says. You see, it's his performance that earns your acceptance. That's how his world works. Where, where he lives and he dies and he rises and all of that earns for all of us God's hand extended in approval to us. And so all we do is we come to Jesus with nothing but our need of Jesus and saying, I'm weak and I'm tired and I'm one person and everything else is failing me and won't last forever. I need whatever you've got. And Jesus says, here it is, the approval, the love, and the acceptance of the Father that I've earned for you. Take it, it's yours. All you need to bring is your need. Have it. And through faith, it's yours. And now you have the acceptance and the approval of the Father. Now, I, I, I get still that some of you might be sitting here saying, I don't... I don't know that that matters much to me. I once had somebody say to me, Matt, I don't struggle to know that God loves me. I struggle to believe that God's love matters to me. If that's the case, I think what you lack is just some perspective. That boss that you're trying to oppress, there is a boss above her. That dad who you're desperately wanting to say, well done, has a father above him. That world that you're trying to earn applause from and be an influencer of, there is one who holds it in his hand and sets it in motion and keeps it spinning. Those kids that you love desperately, that you're living for, and you're hoping on your last dying with your last dying breath, they will stand at your bedside and say, you're the best mom ever. And that will affirm your entire existence. There is one who gave those children to you and entrusted them to you. There is one who made you and had crafted every molecule within you, who knows you, who sees you, who is above everyone around you. And that is the person whose approval you need 
That's who matters in the very end. And look at me, listen to me. You have it. It is yours. It's in your hands in Jesus Christ. Now, if, if you're anything like me, you struggle, even as a lifelong Christian, to, uh, to appreciate that gift that you have. Here's how I work. I, I tend to only appreciate the things that I have when I've been burned by the things that I want. After chasing after things that I think I need and getting burned by it, then I believe and I come to my senses that I already have everything I need. And the same is true with my faith, even as a lifelong follower of Jesus. It's not as though I'm walking around saying, I'm approved by the Father and that's all that matters. Again, kid on stage, short tie, Bob Barker microphone. Now here's what happens for me. I rest in that truth that I have the divine favor of God. And then I walk out of here and I get sidetracked and I seek this person's approval and that person's applause and I get really tired and I compromise myself and I have a whole bunch of regret. And then I have to come back to this truth that I'm approved by God despite my failures. And he builds me back up and puts me back on that foundation and then I go out and for a couple days I'm good and then I seek that person's approval and I compromise myself for that person and then I have a whole bunch of regret here and then I come back to Jesus and he says, you're enough, you're complete, you're approved in me. And, and I go through that cycle back and forth. And what I believe is that over the course of time, through that journey, God is maturing me and changing me and slowly but surely putting my feet more firmly in the truth that I already have the approval of God. And he makes my wanderings a little less dangerous and a little less frequent. That's how this works. This is not a switch that you flip where you flip the switch and all of a sudden you are standing confident in the approval of others and you don't need anybody else's applause. That's not how this works. It's a road that you walk where you wander off onto unsatisfying trails, where you chase after the applause and approval of others that really ultimately gets you nowhere if you try to make it the most important thing in your life and you have to be called back. Here's, here's how I get called back. There, there are three things in my life that, that call me back to the truth that I'm already approved in God and the approval that matters most. The three things are this. When I'm, when I'm inordinately focused on the approval of other people, I know that it's time for me. It's time for me to go home and it's time for me to go to church and it's time for me to play a game with my kids. Go home in that there are people in your life who don't need you to do anything but just be what you already are to them. You're the only one who can be dad. You're the only one who can be mom. You're the only one who can be son, who can be daughter, who can be best friend from college. You're the only one who can do that. And when you show up to that table, there's no expectation, there's no performance other than your presence. Go to the places where they don't need anything from you other than you. Let that ground you. Because the other places, they will shed a tear for you when you die and then they'll start taking resumes. That's what will happen. And then you need to go to church, meaning you have to come back to the place where you hear that you are already approved by the only one who matters through the work of Jesus Christ. And let that arrest you out of your drunken delusion that the approval of your boss is the most important thing in the world and remind you that you already have the approval of his boss's boss's boss through Jesus Christ. 
And then lastly, you need to play a game with your kids. I, I firmly believe this, that, that playing Candyland with your kids provides powerful perspective. Here, here's why. Because you can sit at the table and you can play Candyland with people that you love. And, and you, you can win the game. You can crush it. You, you can draw the ice cream comb early and, and, and go all the way to the end. And you can, be like, you can be like, kids, I won. And everybody can applaud you. And you can throw the cards up in the air and have a party. But then guess what? The game is over. You won. You got everybody's applause. But guess what? The game is over at that point. And what happens when the game is over? It all goes back in the box. All of it. The pieces, the cards, the path. All of it goes back in the box and gets put away. And you're just left with yourself and the people that matter the most to you. And if you let it, it will remind you of this. That this whole game, not to diminish it or minimize it, but this, this whole thing that we're up to right now, with, with the 78.8 years that we've got on this planet, this whole thing that we're up to right now, it matters, but it doesn't matter the most. And, and in the very end, you may win. You may get the approval of everybody. But guess what's going to happen at the very end? It is all going to go back in the box. All of it. And you will be left with one relationship that matters most at that table, and it will be this one. That's it. And the people who get the most out of the game, they put it into that perspective. Back in the box. I'll close with this story. I know we're running late, but it's a good story. Many years ago, back when Russia had emperors, uh, there was this emperor, a, a czar, what they called him, and uh, he had a good friend who was dying. This good friend of the emperor entrusted his son to the emperor so that once the friend died, the emperor adopted this man's son as his own raised him from an early age, clothed him, fed him, cared for him. And then when the time came, he gave him a prestigious job in the Russian military, made him basically the accountant over the entire military apparatus. Uh, this young man, however, though loved by the emperor and accepted as his own, had some demons he was wrestling with. He got deep into gambling, and his gambling debts became so bad that he started to embezzle funds from the Russian military in order to cover his gambling debts. But it got to a point where he could no longer embezzle enough money to cover his debts without his deeds being discovered. And so one night sitting at his desk with the, the ledgers open, he decided to take his own life. With a pistol on the desk next to him, he realized he needed some courage. So he started to drink. And he drank so much that he passed out. Passed out on top of the ledger with the pistol next to him. And then in walks the emperor. See, the emperor, the czar, at this particular point in history, and this is, this is true, um, had, this, had this habit of, of spying on his own people, because after all, Russia. <laughs> had this habit of spying on his people. He would, he would go in disguise as a commoner and, and mix and mingle among the common people to, to find out what they thought of him and try and discover the lives they were really living and the things they really thought and felt on a day-to-day -day, uh, day -day level. And on this particular day, he was in disguise, spying on his people, and he thought he would drop in on his adopted son. And so he, he walks into his office, and he finds his adopted son sprawled out on the desk, passed out, with the ledger open and a pistol next to him. And, 
It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what's happening there. He walks over, he looks at the ledger, and he realizes everything that's gone on. And so the czar, he, he grabs a piece of paper, and he starts to tally up all the debts. And he writes the total on the piece of paper, and then he writes a note, and he takes some candle wax, and he pours it on the piece of paper, and he takes his signet ring that only the emperor had, and he presses it into the wax so that no one would ever be able to doubt that it was actually the emperor who was there, because it's his ring impressed into the note. And then he left. Several hours later, the adopted son awakes from his stupor, and he's hungover, and the first thing he notices is the note in front of him, and he sees the name of the emperor written on the note. And his first thought is, he's been here. Which means he saw the books and he saw me like this. He knows everything. He knows that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a suicidal embezzler who has a drinking problem. <laughs> He's seen all of it. And then he read the note closer. At the top of the note was the total of all the debts that this man had racked up. At the bottom of the note was the signature of the emperor. And in the middle was one sentence. I will pay it all. Sign the emperor. Now, now, it didn't mean that he was going to get off without punishment. It just meant that the debt that he owed was going to be paid by somebody else. It was going to be paid at cost to the emperor. It was going to, be having, it was going to mean that his, 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 his own money would pay for it and his own reputation would carry the impact of it. And it was at that moment that that man realized that he was loved. That even though he had been seen by the most important person in his life for who he really was, and it wasn't a good thing to see, that despite being seen for who he really was, he was still loved by this person, loved enough that this person out of his own pockets and at the cost of his own reputation would pay for his debts. Friends, I, I love that story, not just because it's true. I love that story because it is a picture of what has been done for you and for me in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has entered into our world and he's seen who you really are and he's seen who I really am. And despite seeing us in all of our dysfunction, he has at great cost to himself, he has, he has done what it has taken to pay all of our debts and to sign his name to all of our problems so that we can still know that we are loved, we are accepted, we are a part of the Father's family. We've been adopted into his kingdom and not rejected because of who we are and what we've done. We belong even though we are a mess. That's the approval and the acceptance that you have through Jesus Christ. And my hope for you is that that truth would carry you through the work that you do and shape the way in which you do your work. That when you are hungry for the approval of something that won't satisfy, that you'll be able to return to the truth that you have the approval that matters most. That you don't have to be quite so tired, so take a break. And that you don't have to compromise the things you believe in, so step back. And that you don't have to live with quite so much regret, so ask for forgiveness and God will grant it. Because the love that you're looking for from your boss and your kids and your coworkers, you already have in hand in Jesus Christ.